The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of Eric Rosenberg and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Vantage Core Solutions. He is the founder of the popular financial blog, Personal Profitability. Eric Rosenberg specializes in writing about finance, investing, credit, and is an avid travel hacker. He's written for many outlets such as Forbes, Business Insider, NASDAQ, Mint, and Credit Karma. Before blogging, he was a former bank manager, corporate finance and accounting professional who left his day job in 2016 to pursue his blog full-time. In this episode, we dive into how Eric turned his side hustle into his main hustle and how he monetized it. Learn how you can take advantage of this downtime and spring clean your finances, set goals, and some helpful resources you can use along the way. Meet the leaders shaping the new era of credit. This is the Vantage Core Podcast. Today, we talk to Eric Rosenberg, founder of personalprofitability.com. I grew up around Denver, Colorado, out in the suburbs. If you know the area, kind of near Greenwood Village in an unincorporated area, but it felt pretty much like living in Denver. I always knew a lot about money as a kid. My family was not shy about money in front of us, which I think was really a big benefit to me and my sister that a lot of families don't have. One of my earliest real money memories was around eight years old. I'd been in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, so I'd sold popcorn and coupon books and things like that to help pay for my camp and other things I did with the Boy Scouts. But when I was around eight, my grandpa gave me a general ledger notebook for my birthday, just what every kid wants for their eighth birthday. And if you don't know what that looks like, because most people aren't accountants, it's pretty much like a big book of check registers. And my grandpa said I should track every dollar that comes in and every dollar that goes out. So that way I know how much money I have. And that was you know, before I had a bank account. I just had a small savings account that my mom had helped me set up at a local bank. But by tracking my money coming in and out, there's so much you can learn about your spending habits. And obviously at eight years old, my spending habits weren't so big and neither, neither was my income. You know, I think the thing I wanted to buy most at that age was Power Ranger toys which my mom stopped me from spending my whole life savings on. I don't think I filled out that general ledger notebook all that many times. The lessons that my grandpa taught me when he gave me that did stick with me, and I still follow them today. So for undergrad, I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. So I stuck not too far from Denver where I grew up. It was about an hour away. And about a year after I graduated from college, I went back to school for an MBA, and also in finance from the University of Denver. So my first job when I graduated from college, I was actually a bank manager, not too different from my uncle. I worked in the management training program of a regional bank around the Denver area. So I got to learn all of the ins and outs of everything related to running a bank branch day to day and on the lending side too. So after I worked in the bank, I worked for a a few different companies, pretty much all in Fortune 500 land. (laughs) They were uh, mostly in the telecom industry in the beginning. Denver used to have really strong telecom roots. I guess it still has those roots, but uh, most of those companies have been bought up by another big industry player. So I was in telecom for a while, and then I moved up to Portland, and I worked in the retirement home industry for a short stint, and then got into payments, which was something also related to cards and credit that I enjoyed. I was really most mostly focused on debit cards, but we had a sizable credit card business as well. And all that time, really starting after the job when I worked in the bank, I'd been side hustling, creating my own blog and business. And that grew to a point I was able to go full-time in April 2016. But 
in those years before I spent about a decade in gray cubicle land doing all the corporate accounting and financial analysis stuff that happens behind the scenes. And when I left the job working in the bank, I'd been reading these personal finance blogs, mostly by people who were in a bunch of credit card debt, writing their story about how they were getting out of debt. And I thought to myself, well, geez, I've never been in credit card debt. I have a finance degree, and I just left a job where I was approving mortgages. I should be the one writing about personal finance. So in October 2008, I started a little site that became Personal Profitability. Personal Profitability is, is for those hustlers who say, you know, I have either debt or I have a income goal or I have a financial freedom goal and I'm willing to work to get there. I try to provide the resources to help people get on that right path for personal profitability. Anytime is a great time to spring clean your finances, even if it's not spring. But right now you are spot on. It is the perfect time to spring clean your money because it's spring. And again, we're stuck at home. So what I like to do for anybody who's either new managing their money or just wants to give it a fresh look Start by making a full inventory of all of your financial accounts. That's bank accounts, investment accounts, credit cards, any other kinds of loans, anywhere you have money stored or anywhere you owe money, pretty much. Make a big list of those. And of course, there's apps you can use that'll help make that easier. And there's the big popular ones like mint.com or um, you know, most a lot of banks now even and some credit card companies have apps built into your login. Like I know when I log in, at Charles Schwab or at SoFi where I have accounts, I can link all of my other external accounts there as well. So you don't have to use an app like Mint anymore, but they are specialized to do exactly what we're talking about. So, uh, and it's free. So um, there's a little plug for that one. But whatever app or system you use, you could even use a spreadsheet or a notebook, pad of paper, just make that list of all of your financial accounts. Then start thinking, how do I use these accounts? Or do I even really need these accounts? You know, for bank accounts, specifically in investment accounts, there's no big benefit in having more accounts or keeping accounts open. A lot of credit unions and definitely online banks let you sign up online. So that's an opportunity to consolidate and get rid of old accounts and make sure that your checking and savings are streamlined for your needs. The next stop, your last stop, is your credit. Obviously, that's something a lot of Vantage Score listeners are probably interested in. So with your credit, that's a place you also have to be careful because there's different rules than bank accounts and investment accounts. For example, you know, closing a bank account doesn't do anything to your credit. But bank account is, is not a credit account. It's you know, a checking account you know, just stores your money. It's not a lending product. But if you have a credit card from that bank, that does show up on your credit report and influences your credit score. So it's not a good idea to rush and close and consolidate old credit cards. But if you have cards that charge annual fees and you don't really use them that much anymore, those ones might be worth closing or calling the card issuer, call the number on the back and ask to downgrade to a card with no annual fee. It's also a good time to look and while you know, people's incomes might be in a little flux, so it's not, not quite as easy for everyone to get a credit card as usual, it's a great time since we're all sitting at home probably staring at our phones to look and see if your credit card or whatever card you're using to pay is the best one for your needs. So look at your either cashback or travel rewards. Make sure you're getting whichever one you want more and that you're getting the most possible for every dollar you spend. And before you... Think about the logistics of reaching your goal. Remember that your goal should be unique to you. You know, just because your neighbor got a Tesla 
or a 85 inch TV or a new Prada bag or whatever that thing is, that doesn't mean that has to be your goal. So you know, keeping up with the Joneses, um, it's a common saying, but it's the worst thing you can do for your money. Like, it really doesn't matter what your neighbor has or what your friend has and what your friend spends their money on. What matters is what you spend your money on. And you should never feel that you have to spend money just because someone else is doing something. It's all about what you want. So the best goals for me uh, that I've you know, had over the years related to money were either paying off debt when I had student loans. That was a huge one. Uh, paying off a car loan once upon a time. And now I have mostly a focus on my savings and investment goals. It's important to set the right time horizons and expectations on your goals as well. Uh, but it's a great thing to do and it's great to track them. Again, it's just like budgeting. Do whatever method you're going to stick with. So for me, there's actually a way to track goals in Mint. So that's uh, something that I've used before. But you could draw a thermometer on a piece of butcher paper and put it on the wall, just like you know, elementary schools do for fundraisers. You could make a spreadsheet that you can get to from either home or your work computer to, to track where your progress is. It's just finding something that you're going to use that will remind you regularly, this is my goal and this is what I need to do to get there. I know that's probably not the most actionable answer. Of If you have a lot of debt... Uh, my favorite way to pay off debt is called the debt avalanche. That is a method where you pay off your debts in order from highest interest rate to lowest interest rate. And there are some really cool calculators out there that you can set up your payoff plan. One I like is at a site called Unbury Me. That's U-N-B-U-R-Y dot me. And there's another one at unburied.us. They work a little different, but the uh, methodology behind them is similar, and they're both free to use. Uh, of course, I mentioned Mint a couple times. I really like YNAB also. That's short for You Need a Budget. It is a line item budgeting tool that helps you track every single dollar you earn and gives that dollar a job, whether it's paying off debt or paying a bill or groceries or entertainment, whatever else you want to pay for. If you want to track every single dollar, I really like YNAB. If you're pretty comfortable in your financial journey and you're not really worried about the month-to-month -month budget, you're more worried about cash flow and your investments and assets, Personal Capital has a great free tool. Um, they also have a paid investment service that's optional. The free financial dashboard, if you link your financial accounts, it will do all this great analysis, stuff that uh, people like have an MBA like me, you can pay them a lot of money to do it for you, or you can just do it for free on that app, and it'll give you a lot of good advice. So those are all great places to check in. Also, you can't forget about your credit, of course. I have accounts at Credit Karma. I'm a big fan, and I'm a writer on their blog as well. So I always check my credit scores there regularly. And there's other new tools to get your credit score and track your credit report. There's annual credit report. Everyone should know about that. That's a government mandated website that says by law, the three big credit bureaus have to give you your credit reports that way. So that's not going to give you your score, but it will give you a look into what all of the lenders and all the credit scoring algorithms look at when they're putting your credit together. And there's other sites, um, like Credit Sesame is a good competitor for them. And you could also find a lot of this information at your bank now. That's a newer thing in the last couple of years. But if you have accounts at any major credit card company or bank, 
they already are pulling your credit and they're already looking at it just to be a customer. When you signed up, they looked at your credit and periodically they will look at your credit again just to make sure you're still the kind of person they want to have working with their institution. So because they're already pulling your credit, now they're starting to give it to you for free just as an extra service. So before you sign up anywhere else, I'd check out your bank and your credit card websites to see if they give you access to your credit information. And if they don't, then something like Credit Karma is a great resource. Then there's other people who work in a restaurant or maybe a factory, and they're not going to work at all. So there's a huge range of financial impacts that could be happening to you. And whatever you're going through right now, whether that's a big impact or a small impact, it's important to take a high level look at your finances and see where you are today and see how you can navigate your way through what we're dealing with now. This is a big wake up call for a lot of people on needs versus wants. So it's a good time. If you have any recurring bills, check your credit and debit card statements. If you need unemployment, uh, again, don't feel like you can't sign up because it's a bad mark on your permanent record. There is no such thing. If you lost your job, if you got laid off, take advantage. If you have a mortgage, your mortgage company would rather you stay in the house and keep paying them in some way than get you out of the house. The companies do want to work with you. People aren't out there trying to get you. And everybody is dealing with the same struggles at the same time, whether they look a little different, we're all in it together. So just you know, try to make those savings stretch. And if you get into trouble, ask for help and be willing to take the help that's out there because we have a lot of resources. This is a time I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of bankruptcies compared to normal as all these people have lost their jobs. And if you were 78% of Americans already lived paycheck to paycheck before this, and 9% of people who make six figures already lived paycheck to paycheck. So the first thing to do if you do have to declare bankruptcy is make sure you're following all of the terms that was set out in the bankruptcy proceedings. If you've never gone through it before, uh, when you declare bankruptcy, you have to go through a court process and a judge approves your new debt loads pretty much based on your income and everything else. So make sure whatever that judge says, you follow what that judge says. If they say there's certain payments that have to be made, make sure you're definitely making those payments. You don't want to be uh, messing up right out the gate. Then in the short run, you're trying to regain your financial footing and can start thinking about rebuilding your credit for the long run. So in the short run, you're probably going to have more dings and damage to your credit after the bankruptcy as different credit cards maybe forgive a portion of your balance or take a settlement or something like that. That'll show up on your credit report and that can hurt your credit score. But once you have all that worked out, it's time to start fresh, potentially with a new credit account that can start building you a positive credit history. And the way most people who've been through a bankruptcy recently would do that is with a secured credit card. And there's a handful of secured credit cards out there. The ones from the best providers have no annual fee. That's a really big thing to look for with secured cards because there are a lot of secured cards geared for people who don't know that much about money and they try to take advantage of you with high fees and really bad terms. So make sure if you get a secured card, uh, you understand all of the terms and it's from a reputable credit card company and it's a card that you can 
count on and a company that you can count on. Uh, So how those secured cards work is you have to put down a cash deposit, usually equal to your credit line. So if you have a $500 credit line, you'd have to put down a $500 deposit. So that's your limit. And you want to make sure you keep your limit low. You actually don't have to use the card even every month to build credit. Just using it a couple times a year and paying it off in full is a is a good strategy. And by doing that, every month you're showing on your credit report, and that flows through to your credit score and what future lenders see, that you have turned the corner from the bankruptcy and you're making on-time payments every month. The two biggest things in your credit score are your on-time payment history and your credit balances. So if you always pay every loan, doesn't matter what kind of loan or credit card on time every month, at least the minimum from this day forward, and try to keep those revolving balances low. And that's credit cards or lines of credit where you can add and pay off again and again over time. You want to keep those balances as low as possible. And if you're doing those two things, even if you don't pay as much attention to the other factors in your credit score, you'll probably start to see your score rise and you'll be on the right track. Everybody should have what most personal finance people like me call an emergency fund. The best advice that I'd give for a typical person, if you have a steady job that you can count on, you should have at minimum three months of expenses saved up. Ideally, you want to bump that up close to six months as you can. Because you know things happen. I mean, right now we're seeing job losses can happen very quickly and unexpectedly. So it's good to have some buffer in case that happens to you. But also, you know, your fridge could break, or your furnace could break, or your car could break down. You know, just because we're all stuck inside doesn't mean that the rest of the world stops working. Now, if you are like me, I'm a freelancer, so I don't have that steady income that most people have. My income goes up and down every month. If you're a freelancer or a small business owner, or you just don't feel like your job is that stable or secure for whatever reason, then I would make six months your minimum emergency fund amount because there's a very good chance you know, if you think your job could go away, there's probably a reason. And um, it's better to have more savings for that. That's where I say you should have six to 12 months of cash savings, ideally, if you're self-employed or not securely employed. I've gotten so many different pieces of financial advice over the years, but I think it really goes back to that advice that my grandpa gave me when I was eight, and he gave me that general ledger notebook. More or less, it boils down to just pay attention. You know, it is easy to ignore your money, and if you're having financial difficulties, a lot of people's natural reaction is to just look the other way. People don't want to deal with their problems head on. And with money, if you ignore problems, they will often just get worse and worse and worse. They'll snowball. They won't stay the same. They won't start to get better. They'll just get worse. So pay attention. And if you have a problem, nip it in the bud. Try to fix it as quickly as you can so then you can move back on and focus on the good parts of your financial future. This podcast is brought to you by Vantage Core Solutions, a higher level of confidence. Thanks for listening.